Okay, this uh, first Bible reading from the Old Testament is from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 23. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, You may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And our second reading is from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteous reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you so much for leading us in prayer, Nicola, and for reading from God's Word. Simone, this week, earth quakes. We've been looking at the Psalms that declare the glory of God. Psalm 8 and Psalm 19, we see the earth and the heavens and all that God has revealed. In Psalm 8, we see God's etchings into the earth. And we also see his handiwork in the heavens. And then we see in Psalm 19 that creation brings glory to God even though there are no words. There's no speech. Yet heaven and earth give him glory. And through Psalm 19 we then see, well if God has spoken through creation, how much more wonderful and profound that he might have indeed spoken into being and with words that we can receive and hear and understand. 
And if there's one big idea that I want us to take away from looking at chapter 3 today, it's this. God delivers. God delivers. I'm going to take some verses from Psalm 19 and I'm going to wrap them up in a short prayer for us. Would you join me as we talk to our Father in heaven? Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we would ask you, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Firstly, dignity. Never doubt your dignity. Never doubt your dignity. Why do I say this? Because you have been made in the image of God. We've seen from Genesis 1, entitled Earthworks, how God forms and fills and then provides rest. God said, let us make mankind in our image, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. He will rule all creatures, and so God created mankind in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He made them male and female and blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule it all, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And then in Genesis 2, earth moves. We met the Lord God of life-giving partnership. Both the man and his wife were naked, and they felt no shame, Genesis chapter 2, 25. Notice I've just put a little emboldened word in there. It's the original language, the Hebrew. It says arum. And I just want you to take that word and put it in the back of your mind, because we'll see it a few times as we enter into chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, earth quakes. We meet dignity as it is ruptured by desire. In fact, this chapter is possibly one of the saddest chapters in the whole of the Bible, where we read in verse 10 that the man whom God has made says to God, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, arum, and so I hid. I have to say, folks, that as we read chapter 3, we expect to be disappointed. In fact, as the waves of this wash over us, we may even find ourselves disturbed, perhaps distraught, to see the one who was made in God's own image in this chapter deposed. Mankind, the peak of God's creation, made in the image of God, falls from grace. And this is often what this chapter is called, the fall. And with this account, I think there are quite a few questions that come for us about God and about us and about His creation and about His creatures. What does it actually mean to be made in God's image, to share in His dignity? How does this dignity align with desire? And where does desire come from? And what about this character, the devil? And then, what does this ancient passage, written thousands of years ago, mean for us today in our contemporary world? 
Because we see that there is the goodness of life, but we also see the distortion of death. And we ask ourselves, how did our world come distorted, come to be distorted? And in what ways is the relationship between God and mankind still divided? And finally, I guess the question in the end is, will we be destroyed or will we be delivered? And I know this is a very familiar passage for many of us. We've read this, haven't we, a few times. But I'm also going to ask us just to suspend some of the stuff that we've been used to reading from this passage. Uh, Rather like in the words of um, the great Jedi Yoda, it may be time for us to unlearn what has been learned. Would you do that with me, just for a moment? Maybe expect to find something a little new. Maybe not. Uh, I just want to ask you a question. Uh, I know that many of us know C.S. Lewis, the Christian theologian and author. Has anybody in this room read the Cosmic Trilogy? Can you just show me if you have? Ah, praise God, there's some. But not enough. Can I encourage you, when you get home, go and download onto your Kindle or get yourself a copy of the Cosmic Trilogy. It's a science fiction series and it is absolutely brilliant. And in the second book of the trilogy, entitled Perilandra, we encounter uh, a nearby planet inhabited by an innocent queen and her traveling king who is away from home. And our hero, Elwyn Ransom, who we met in the first book, had been appointed by the god of Mars, commissioned to go and protect this innocent queen from the devil who had come from earth and wanted to corrupt her. It's a story, but it's a really good story because this devil character speaks and acts by puppeteering the deceased body of another passenger, Weston. And this tempter tries to persuade the innocent queen to disobey God's word. The God of Perilandra said, you may only live on the moving land, you may not live on the fixed land. And the tempter tries to show this queen how actually to be defiant is quite heroic. He tells stories of heroic defiance in history. He introduces her to self-gratifying vanities. He gives her makeup and a mirror, and she sees her own reflection. And you can see the way he stokes her inherent desire for these things. Now, it's a very, very good story. It's gripping. And in the end, just as a spoiler, Ransom, with his feeble words but his faithful presence, is able to protect her purity. But there's a powerful message in this because it mirrors very closely Eden and it mirrors very closely our world. Firstly, the devil is real and he is constantly stoking our desire to overwhelm the dignity that God has given us. And he's often very clever and very seductive. And secondly, I think sometimes, I've done this, I look back at Adam and Eve and I think to myself, they're a bit silly and a bit foolish, but I want to say that they are no more silly or foolish than we are. Have a look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals. Notice that the serpent was arum, naked. 
He was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Notice what happened here. Firstly, can you just take a step back with me and, and recognize that there's a snake talking to a person? Now, I don't know about you, but I've had red belly black snakes in my yard, um, even seen the occasional brown, and you know those little really cheeky ones, the small eyes, who are actually very venomous, avoid them, um, but they've never chatted with me. Um, secondly, notice that he's not on his belly yet. He's face to face with the woman. I think that we need to be a little careful here, because remember how God introduced to the man or the animals, whilst there was no suitable companion found for him, the helper that he would need would be woman, I think we must remember that there was a dynamic at that time before the fall between man and the creatures that may have been different to the dynamic now. I mean, at least there was some potential for relationship and interaction that we should not make assumptions about. Here, this creature, this serpent, however, is more than just a creature. Whatever its ability to relate to mankind, this creature becomes a puppet for the one who lost his own dignity as a choice angel in heaven. We read in Isaiah, we read in Ezekiel, we read in Daniel, we read in Revelation, and the Lord Jesus speaks of the devil the one who had fallen from the glory of God in the heavenly spaces, and one here who uses this creature as his mouthpiece, not a man, but a walking, talking serpent. And his desire is to stir up in the woman a creaturely desire. And notice how it's not actually focused on eating. It's focused on the promises of God. Did God really say... And everything in this dance between dignity and desire pivots on whether or not God is trustworthy. And I take us to our second point, desire. I want you to have a look with me carefully at verses 2 and 3, because I want you to notice how the woman changes what God actually said. There are two trees in the garden. You remember there's the tree of life. We were also told about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I'm going to, if you'll permit me, call the tree of death. And, and notice what the woman says about it. Uh, God himself said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, that eating from this tree will cause mankind to doubly die, surely die, die, die. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree, uh, the fruit from the trees. Notice here I've just put in bold some of the additions she makes and the bits she takes out. We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree, she adds that in, in the middle of the garden, well, it's not, is it? God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, isn't it interesting how sometimes we change our posture and words to suit ourselves? Do you see how desire is, is evolving already in, in the woman as she changes some of the things that God actually said? And you noticed how the serpent completely contradicts the word of God. God says you will doubly die. No, says the serpent, you will not doubly die. God's dignity is expressed both in the angels in heaven and in mankind on earth. 
Why does the devil want to diminish human dignity and increase creaturely desire? Because he was an angel who desired equality with God, and his desire eclipsed God's dignity, eclipsed God's dignity. And he fell from grace, and he is assured of the double death, death and destruction, and his only purpose and objective is to dishonor God. And his purpose here in the garden is to dishonor God by diminishing the dignity of mankind, whom God had made for relationship with God, to a creaturely desire, to persuade mankind that our internal assessment of things is better than God's, that God's word is not to be trusted, that we can determine what is good and evil rather than what God has declared to be good and evil, right and wrong. You see, brothers and sisters, our dignity is to listen to God. Our dignity is found in trusting the word of God and knowing God and knowing that he is good and right. And verses five and six, notice, God says that on that day, knows that on the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so it is that the woman saw that the tree was good for food and desirable uh, to look at, uh, sorry, delightful to look at, and desirable for obtaining wisdom. And so she took some of its fruit, and she ate it, and she gave some to her husband. Note who was with her, and he ate it. To be made in the image of God is to know when and where to draw the line that he defines, to know when to say no, to know when to say something's wrong, to know when to say enough. And the desire to listen to God and do the right thing honors God. A desire to, to obey anything other than God's word, to, to listen to the devil, to elevate our own desire and assessment over God's, to be drawn into what the world has to say to us is wrong. It brings distortion. Thirdly, distortion. Do you know those moments where things get turned on their head? Have you ever had that in your life? I mean, we've all been through it, right? In 2020, <laughs> COVID just turned everything on its head. But something happens under our feet. Something, anybody here been in an earthquake? A few of us have. Like when, when the earth on which you stand starts to shake, I am told, you really begin to wonder about things. I've only ever been on one of those machines. I think it was at Questacon where you kind of feel like you're having an earthquake. It's really unsettling. But this is exactly what's happened in the garden here. You see, everything gets turned on its head. God gave authority to man and woman to have oversight of creation, and the devil takes the creature. And so woman listens to the creature so that man responds to her and disobeys God. Everything is inverted. The dignity of God gives way to the desire of humanity. Before eating from the tree, it was a garden of delight. After eating from the tree, everything is distorted, verses 7 and 8. Their eyes were opened. They knew they were a room, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. And then the man and the wife were heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the wind of the day. And what did they do? Embrace him like little children? No, they went and hid because of the distortion. Now, rather than dependence on God, they are seeking independence from God. And here it's tragic because the Lord God calls out to the man and he says to him, verse 9, where are you? 
It's not that sort of where are you where, you know, we're playing hide and seek. Where are you? I can't see you. Well, I can see your feet under the curtain. I can't see. No, it's not even that sort of where are you when, I hope you've never been through losing a child in the shopping mall. You know where you have that moment where you think your kid's there and you turn, where are you? You know, the heart goes, well, actually, it's a lament. In fact, the where are you of God right here is, there you are, with the serpent, a room, not with me. What's going on? And you see how the man knows this. He's naked before God. The safe and secure voice of his creator does not bring him joy any longer, but now brings him fear. Such is the distortion. Verses 10, 11, I heard your voice in the garden, and now I was afraid, for I was a room, and so I hid. And God asked the question, you know, rather like the kid that's got all the chocolate around their mouth, have you been eating the ice cream? No. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And so the blame and shame game begins. Making the mark or knowing right from wrong with dignity is found in living under God's word and God's rule. Missing the mark is where we think we know what's best. And what happens as a consequence of this fall is now that each and every person in the line of Adam is enslaved to a desire, not for good, but for evil. And we see this distortion throughout the good order in God's world, increasing disorder and a deadly division between God and mankind. And so it is that they will now doubly die. Mankind at this point becomes mortal. The first death we see uh, will come next week. And it's a tragic event. For Adam and for Eve, they will die and return to the earth as dust. And then in verses 14 to 19, we see the effects of distortion. The serpent is now distorted. The relationship between man and creature is now distorted. Childbirth is distorted for the woman, verse 16. Man working the earth is distorted, 17 to 19. And in the midst of that distortion, however, God gives us a little ray of hope because he is the God who delivers. You know that little bit where it says, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent as it strikes at his heel? I think that's a wonderful glimmer of hope that God gives us in what's sometimes called the proto-euangelion, or in other words, the first gospel, the first good news that points us to the one who would come from Eve, the man God, Jesus Messiah. But God is good here as well as in the future. He, he's kind. He maintains dignity and grace even in the midst of distortion because you notice that he will deliver them immediately from their situation. My final point, divine deliverance. Divine deliverance. They've disobeyed God and he now says that as a result the access to the tree of life must be cut off. Knowing good, but enslaved to creaturely desire, unable to do anything good or right, he now says that they must not have access to the tree of life, for they are a room and ashamed, but nonetheless he does care for them. We read in verses 20 to 21, I'm sorry we don't have that one, um, Adam named his wife Chava, or Eve, for she was the mother of all living 
and God made clothing for them. He provided for them. And even as he cuts off their access to the garden, he continues to provide for them. The disobedience that they have expressed, however, does bring the death that means separation from God. And it is only through his son Jesus that there is hope of access to the tree of life and how we need the Word of God and the Spirit of God to inform and empower us today as well. A return to dignity is something that only God can provide. So whether we follow our desires by missing the mark by accident, what Shane described the other day as whoopsies, or whether we miss the mark because we uh, do so on purpose, our poopsies, we remain slaves to desire, and we cannot reclaim the dignity that God has given us unless he himself restores it to us. And that is why we need Jesus. And there is no other way to be restored to God. We read about that, didn't we, in Romans. Let me take us on that journey. The Apostle Paul writes his letter to the church in Rome in which he says that just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, he was a prototype of the coming one that is Jesus. Paul compares the work done by the Adam and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Adam was created from dust and placed in the garden with one restriction. He broke God's rule and missed the mark, and sin and death came into the world. And all that follow in Adam, every one of us is born into sin and death still to this day. But Paul goes on to say that the God-man, Jesus Messiah, unlike Adam, kept his dignity and his desire was restrained. He didn't disobey the word of God as Adam had done, but he kept the word of God and he did it fully and perfectly. And we read that the gift is not like the trespass, for if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, Adam broke the rule, sin and death. Jesus kept it, life and eternal hope being justified before God, Jesus chose godly dignity over creaturely desire and his life fulfilled the word of God. In fact, his death ensures that when we have faith in him, we don't have to face the double death, the consequences of sin and death forever, all by the free gift of God's grace to everyone who believes in Jesus. Adam's decision condemns us. Jesus' decision gives us life and hope for a future, such that when we trust him, God says, you're all right by me. And as we read in verses 18 to 21, so then as through one trespass there was condemnation for everyone, so also through the one righteous act of Jesus at the cross, there is life-giving justification for everyone. We read these weird little voice, uh, verses here, that seem to suggest that the purpose for God's rule was to increase sin and disobedience. And we go, what? Why would God do that? Doesn't that seem like a cruelty, that the rule of God would make sin abound and increased amongst his people? Actually, the presence of his rule and his word revealed God's will for all mankind so that every disobedient desire 
was all the more clearly wrong and that an increased awareness of sin would make us see how profound and wonderful the grace of God is in Jesus who saves us from our sins. Sin multiplies, but grace abounds to cover it all. And if you've not yet seen that Jesus is the one who surrendered his life on a cross for your sins, then I encourage you to come to him today because he will forgive you if you only trust him and all that he has done for you at the cross. You see, God's grace will always deliver. I was thinking about these little trees and the fact that we're cut off from the tree of life and I read, um, as I was thinking about it this week, I was actually teaching the youth on how to do self-defense and fight and uh, just as we do on a Friday night and uh, looking at Matthew 10, 28, which warns us um, not to fear the one who can kill the body, that's things like sin, the world, the devil, but, but rather to fear the one who can take body and soul and send it to the eternal double death. And the thing is that to be cut off from the tree of life is to doubly die. But Proverbs 3.18 shows us that the word of God is the tree of life to all who believe. And the word of God constantly points us to the one who now has the tree of life in his garden. Revelation 22, we read that Jesus is there. And he says, if you come to me, you will have access to the tree of life for all eternity. Isn't that what we need to hear as we read of the fall in Genesis, as we see the brokenness in our own world, as we see the distortion around us? What a great hope it is to know that God delivers through Jesus, our Savior and King. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father God in heaven, we want to thank you that even in the darkest moments in history, there is always light. And that light is the person of your son, Jesus, Messiah, who gave his life on a cross to take the rightful punishment against our sin, to absorb your wrath against us so that we might be declared dignified in your sight once more. And Father, how we pray that you please help us day by day through your word that informs our minds, through your spirit that prompts our spirit, that we might continue to grow in our affection for you and for your word and for the goodness that you have revealed in the person of Jesus. May we constantly cling to him, even as our soul clings to the dust. Thank you, Father, that in Jesus' name, we as your people who trust in him have access to the tree of life and that that is eternal. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.